Thank you, men. Fred and, and Travis, thank you for doing what you're doing and helping us stay connected to them. It's an honor. It is truly an honor. Amen. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You all okay today? That's heavy, isn't it? So heavy. So heavy. But you know what? We're living in a time of joy. This is a time of joy. Even when heavy things are heavy, there is a joy that we can grasp a hold of knowing that God is in the middle of things. Knowing that we place God in the middle of things. Amen? Amen. There's so many times we want to put God first. And He loves to be first in your life, but He loves to be in the middle of your life so that all your firsts can revolve around Him. Amen? Oh, man. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. You're not acting like it's good stuff. Amen. We're, uh, I, I want to get into what I got today because of... Um, uh, got a long way to go, a short time to get there, and um, um, I think where we're at in, in this season, or the season that we're coming into, uh, this, the fall season that we're coming into, there's a lot of things that the, that the Bible talks about in this fall season, and the greatest thing it talks about is that when you enter into the fall season, the month before Um, entering into the feasts of the Lord is called the month of Elul. And we're in the month of Elul right now um, on the Jewish calendar. And that is called um, entering into the season of our joy. Entering into the season of our joy. And joy is not always happiness. I mean, mean, happiness is not always joy, but joy is always happiness. And we can be in the middle of heavy things and hard things and rough things and and stuff that try to bring us down and depress us and steal our joy. But this is the month of joy, uh, entering into joy, and God is ready to take us into that place to where we can have joy even in tough times. Amen. Amen. So that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today because I believe that we are entering into this joy of God's seasons. Of God's seasons. I, you know, I've been a Christian since I was five. I was raised in church. And, and one of the things that we, I believe that we all go through when you get born again, you're, you're such, like such a little kid, you know, you're, you got this new toy. And, and you not only play with the toy, but you play with the box. And, and so you, ha- you have this um, expectation when you come to the things of God. But then you get to a point where you think you know everything. And, and when I was, I got saved when I was five, and at 17 years old, I felt like I knew everything because I was very critical of what I saw going on in my home church and the, and the things that were happening. I thought, well, I, I, know, I know more than they do. And so, I, you know, if, if they're going to act this way, if they're going to behave this way, then I'm just going to leave. And I left and I walked away from the church and I walked away from God. When I was 24, I found out that I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. 
and, and I came back to the things of God. And this time, instead of coming back to the denominational church, I came back to a movement in the church called the charismatic movement, the word of faith movement. And I came into that and I found out that I didn't know what I thought I knew. But after several years in that cutting my teeth on that movement, I come to a place where I thought I knew more than I did. I thought I knew it all. Again, once again, I come to that place. This time I didn't leave the things of God. I just thought, since I know everything, I need to be a pastor. So in, in May of 2000, because I knew everything, we started a church. And, and so I, in the first two years, I preached everything that I knew. And when I hit that mark, I was like, now do I start over with telling people what I know? And something happened in that time. There was a man that began to come to church that was a prophet to the nations. And he actually, at that time, he, he had a church, but he, he shut it down because he felt like God was calling him back to the nations but he was coming to our church and he was submitted to me as a pastor, but he was a prophet, pretty outspoken. And, and he began to sit with me and show me in the Bible that I didn't know everything that I thought I knew. <laughs> You're not so smart after all. And, and so in 2002, 2003, he, he, showed, he began to show me and, and I began to, to grasp what it meant to have my Christianity put into a place where I discovered, began to discover my Hebraic Hebrew roots of the faith that I was walking in. Um, some people call them Jewish roots, but I call them Hebrew roots because um, God's people were Hebrews long before they were Jewish. And, and so the Hebrew, the word Hebrew in the, in the, um, uh, in the Hebrew, um, I just caught that. The word Hebrew in the Hebrew means ones who have been called out or ones who have crossed over. See, the children of Israel that come out of the wilderness and into the promised land had to cross over a river to put them into the promised land to where they became true Hebrews. And you and I as Christians have crossed over a river as well. When we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we crossed over into a place from the world into the promised land. Now, I'm preaching a lot better than you're agreeing right now. <laughs> Because I, we crossed over, now there's a place on the inside of us, way down deep, that we are Hebrews too. And I don't care who makes your coffee, you're still a Hebrew. Because Hebrew or Shebrew, it doesn't matter in coffee. But you're, you're, you're Hebrews. And, and so what that did to me when I started seeing the Hebraic roots of my faith, what that did to me, was, sorry, there's a fly. Um, what that did to me is made me begin to look at the Bible through a different set of lenses than just my American Western culture lens. 
we as Americans can look at things in the Bible so totally different than what God had planned for us to look like. So we have to go back and get these Middle Eastern eyes, so to speak, and begin to see what God was doing by giving his son Jesus to us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, and so um, I want to I talk about some things that are coming up in the seasons that we're walking into. Is that okay? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it from a different, if you've never heard this before, you're going to go, I don't know. But if you begin to look at it, look at your Bible through Hebrew eyes or Middle Eastern or Eastern eyes, you'll, you'll see the true fullness of who God is and what he has meant. That this Bible is not an Old Testament and a New Testament. It is one testament that is renewed. The New Testament is a renewed testament. It's, it's not a different testament. It's, it's renewed. And so if you have your Bibles today, I, I want you to go to uh, two scriptures. If you have your, uh, a Bible open and you want to follow along, we'll put some of these, we'll put these scriptures on the screens. But if you have your Bible, if you would go to Leviticus chapter 23, how many have been reading in Leviticus this week? That's what I thought. Others, I saw one. Um, anyways, Leviticus chapter 23, and I want you to hold your place there and go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles is right before 2 Chronicles. And you can get on board there. It's still in the Old Testament. But um, anyways, um, how many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? I mean, you don't even have to go to church and know the story of David and Goliath. And, and so what happened in that, in that time when David, just a 17, 18-year-old kid, went up against Goliath and killed Goliath, it propelled David into this fame. He'd already been anointed to be king, but nobody knew that he had been anointed to be king but his own family. And so he's still just a shepherd boy that goes out and defeats this giant, right? And so when he defeated Goliath, it propelled him into fame. And, and when it propelled him into fame, the King Saul, who was the, the, the serving king at that time over, uh, over Israel, or over the Hebrews, he got jealous of David, put a price on his head, and began to try to kill him. David, uh, being the smart guy that he was, he vamoosed. He got out of there. And it, it says that he went out into the wilderness, into the desert places, and was running from Saul, King Saul, so that he wouldn't be killed and, and he could walk out what God had called him to walk out. So David escaped into the wilderness, and he was in this cave all by himself. He, for several months and days, he was by himself. And have you ever been, felt like you were left alone? Like you re, re, were rejected, and you had to go, and, and alone felt terrible? And so some of the Psalms, many of the Psalms were written in that time uh, that David was just, it was just him and God. But as time went on, there were warriors from Israel. See, Israel is made up of 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were every uh, warrior that was in favor of David and his fame began to leave Saul and the armies of, of Israel and begin to seek out where David was. And the, here in Chronicles, it, it says that there were thousands and tens of thousands of 
men from each tribe that begin to come and surround David and give him honor as the next leader to come. And as you go through this First Chronicles chapter 12, you're going to see thousands and tens of thousands of every tribe coming to David and expressing their loyalty to them, uh, to him. And even though there's tens of thousands of the 12 tribes, there was one tribe in there that didn't send thousands and tens of thousands. They only sent 200 men. And it was called the tribe of Issachar. And that's where I want to um, start off is just, just one scripture today um, to start because we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. And um, we've got a long way to go. Uh, so let's, let's get after this. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32 says, Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do and all their brethren... Um, and all their brethren were at their command. The sons of Issachar. There were only, uh, it goes on, oh, and, and their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. That's, that's where I'm at. So the sons of Issachar sent 200 of their people. Why? Why weren't the warriors coming out of Issachar? Because Issachar was a tribe that knew the times and the seasons. They understood where they were at. In this time that we're living in, we're feeling like, you know, we're, we're seeing the book of Revelation. We're seeing um, the book of Daniel and Matthew 24. We're seeing those things starting to come alive on our TV screens and on our phones, right? We're seeing those things begin to happen. And I think they're, they're more than what they've ever been before. But the sons of Issachar in that same time frame of David, came with 200 people instead of tens of thousands of people. Um, I talked about the prophet guy that was coming to our church at the time and really helped with those things. He prayed over Lynette and I, and he said, this is what God is showing me. He's saying, God is showing me that this church, this cowboy church is not going to be a mega church, but it's going to be a remnant church. And he said, you will be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and the seasons so as so to command your brethren. To command the brethren. Not to, not to com you know, go in there with, with pride and, and um, arrogance, but to understand the time so that we can communicate those things so that we can begin to step into the king of kings coming back. See, we're, we're not afraid. We may not have the skill of war like some of those warriors that showed up to David, but we have the understanding to know how to direct the warriors. And I believe with all my heart that what happened here today, what happened here in this small church is directing what Satan is trying to come against. It is releasing the times. It is releasing those things. See, their, their, their value, the sons of Issachar then and, and who we are, is their value wasn't on their ability of skill and strength and violence, 
but their value was to see and to leverage and to navigate and to communicate the times that we're in, to understand those things. As we're living in times that unfolds, um, it unfolds in our life, as we're seeing those things unfold in our life, that those things can either paralyze or they can empower. And what the sons of Issachar do is help empower the times and the seasons of God to understand what's going on so that we can call uh, those things into um, purpose, into the in, bring the in, uh, anticipation into a, um, a a push of explosion. As sons of Iskar, we have to be able to take advantage of God's seasons to understand the times for our generation. That's what we have to do. So over in Leviticus chapter 23, I want to start showing you some things over the next two weeks that are going to propel, I believe, propel us as a church into the times so that we can understand them better. Amen? So here in Leviticus chapter 23, God has given his law to Moses and, and for Israel. The, the book of Leviticus is a very, uh, I, <laughs> sometimes when people start reading the Bible, they start at Genesis and they love Genesis and they love Exodus and then they get to Leviticus and they go, ugh. And they close the Bible and say, oh, that's a lot. Especially when you get into the begets. The begets and the begets and the begets and the begets. And, and so people usually turn their Bible closed at that point and say, this is too much for me. But God was giving his law in order for the children of Israel to be able to um, sustain once they crossed over into that promised land. They would, it wasn't so much law. It was, there was law in there, but it was more of a guideline, more of a guidebook to help them sustain what God had given them. And it is a guidebook on how for, uh, for them and us to worship, how to serve, how to obey our holy God. Amen. Amen. So I want you to see this here, Leviticus chapter 23, and I'm going to go to verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Skip down to verse 4. It says, These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the appointed times. God says, these are my feasts for you to proclaim. And he said, these are, these are holy days, holy days. It's where we get our term, this Western term, this American English term, holidays. Because holidays are holy days. They're, they're holy, they're set apart, they're, they're, they're put there in order to interrupt the ongoing day after day. 
the day-to-day. Sometimes I don't like the day-to-day because one day just leads to another day that leads to another day, but then there are holy days that interrupt that flow. And, and, and what this says here is he says um, in, there in verse 4, he says, you shall proclaim their appointed times. The word appointed times is a Hebrew word called moed, M-O-E-D, moed. And, and it means sacred seasons. It means set times, set feasts. And God says here, he says, these are my feasts given to you to proclaim. You shall proclaim them at their appointed time. Are you hearing me? So he gave, um, here in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 23, he gave us uh, seven holy days that happen throughout the year that God has set into motion. We have our holidays here in in America. You know, we have July 4th. We have uh, Memorial Day. We have Labor Day that's coming up on us. Uh, We have Christmas. We have Halloween. We have all those little things that that we as um, Western people tend to set aside and do things. Um, I'm not going to stand up here and preach what I'm a proponent of, or not, but those are things that we know. Thanksgiving, right? Those, those kinds of things. So the Bible has seven that God gave and that God has and that God celebrates. Whether we celebrate them or not, God celebrates them. Jesus celebrates them, even now in heaven. But there's seven of them. There's three in the spring, one called Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits. That all happens in the spring. It's right around our Easter time, kind of trying to be in conjunction with that. I'm not going to go into all that. There's one that happens in early summer called the Feast of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost. And then there are three that happen in the fall. Those that happen in the fall that we're getting ready to come into in just a few weeks is the Feast of Trumpets, the or the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so that's what we're going to ta- tackle in the next couple of weeks as we go into this. But I like what um, I, I was looking at and studying. I was looking at one of my books called The Kamash. The Kamash. How do you spell that? C-H-U-M-A-S-H. And really that C-H on the front of there is supposed to be pronounced as... <laughs> but I've been dealing with a... Um, head cold this week. And so if I really get down and, you know, like that, I'm liable. I think the Hebrew word is hakalung. No, I'm kidding. You get it? Hakalung. Anyways, um, I don't want to go there. Um, but I was reading in... I was reading about the feast, uh, the coming into the feast is Leviticus chapter 23 in my Kamash, which is a Hebrew uh, commentary on the, word of, uh, on the Word of God as on the Old Testament or the uh, first five books of the Bible, the, uh, that there. Um, but it says, this is what it said. This is written by one of the rabbis. I just want to share this with you. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, the appointed times, and those brackets or parentheses there are my explaining of big words to make it simple. 
It says, the appointed times are the days that stand out from the other days of the year. They summon us from our everyday life to halt and to dedicate all our spiritual activities to them. They, the appointed times, interrupt the ordinary activities of our life and give us uh, the spirit, the power, and the sacred dedication for the future by giving new life to those ideas upon which our whole life is based. Or they destroy such evil consequences of our past activity as are deadly to the body and spirit and thus restore us uh, restore to us the lost purity and hope and blessing. So here's a small um, understanding of what that's saying. It's saying these, these holy days are given to us in order to stop us in our day-to-day, in order to give us the ability to grasp a hold of the spirit and power that's in there, but also to reflect on what we've been doing that's not of God and to correct those things. Does that make sense? Three of you, it makes sense. I'm, I'm glad. Maybe you can help me communicate to the rest um, what that is saying. Uh, the, 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 the pureness is, is that sometimes when we hear the things that are going on in our world, we tend to get um, a, a depression, so to speak. Not clinic, clinically, it's, it's just something that can bring us down. When we hear of the... the um, martyrdom that's happening in Afghanistan and the uprising of the, um, uh, of the Taliban and of ISIS and all these other groups that are terrorists, it can seem to be a weight on us. But God is saying, look, I want to interrupt that and bring something to, the, to, to my people, my sons of Issachar, so that they can understand the times and know how to push forward in all of this. And so... Um, it's, it's important that we know these things. Whether you jump in with both feet and celebrate the way that God wants us to celebrate or whether you don't, it's about understanding, knowing and understanding the times so that we can restore our lost purity because we have allowed the season, the, the times of, that the enemy's trying to bring to us to, to stop our joy. That's why this fall time is called the season of our joy. Amen. Some people say, well, pastor, you know, this is the Old Testament. My Christianity is a New Testament Christianity. And, and therefore, I believe that we're no longer under the Old Testament. It's just good stories for you to talk about to help us understand our New Testament. No, 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 no. You know, Jesus, is, Jesus is, wasn't there in the Old Testament. He's here with me in the New Testament You know what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus did not replace the Old Testament. The New Testament did not replace the Old Testament. That is called in in our world, it's a religious world, it's called replacement theology. And it just, it doesn't carry any weight. Now, some preachers will say it carries weight with them. Do what you do, man. I know that my Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's as much alive spiritually in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, everything, every book of the Bible in the Old Testament points to Jesus of the New Testament and points to our Christianity and points to us, even though 
we don't understand some of those things. It's okay if we don't, but it's more that we realize that we don't and push into understanding what it is about. And so that's my job is to teach and to minister to you as your pastor to help you understand those times so that we can walk out of here with joy. Amen. See, Jesus... Jesus spiritually fulfilled everything, but everything has not been fulfilled yet, even though he fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled. The only, time, only thing that the Bible says that he really fulfilled was the sacrificial requirements of the law. In other words, we don't have to kill no animals anymore and bring them to the church. Thank God, because I don't like blood. And I don't, I don't hunt. I'm not a hunter. I mean, I, I like Bambi, and I like Thumper, and I like all those little animals, and I don't have the heart to kill them, but I sure do like to eat them when you do. So I'm not against hunting. I just don't hunt. I leave that for you, and it's okay to tithe and share when, when you kill Beauregard. Anyways, I'm going to go on. The Old Testament is still intact. And the Old Testament is still very much part of our lives, even though we don't always understand it. That's why we're the sons of Issachar. That's why we have to go and get that understanding. Amen? In Colossians chapter 2, this is New Testament. It says this. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a, a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. He says, look, the, you know, the, the, the Old Testament requirements of you know, food and drink and regarding festivals, new moons and, and Sabbaths and things like that, even though we may not understand them as, as Western people, yet um, he says those things are a shadow of things to come. And the substances of Christ. In other words, they point to Jesus. I like what the New Living Translation said there. It says, For these festivals, the new moon, Sabbaths, are shadows of reality yet to come. Shadows of reality, and that Christ Himself is that reality. So as we are Christians, as we're walking in these things, then we should be able to begin to see the reality of what those Old Testament things are, especially when we come to his feasts. And, and so um, when we begin to dive into these feasts, we understand that they begin to point directly to Jesus' ministry of what he did on the earth and what he did by dying on a cross and what he did by giving us the Holy Spirit, what he did by leaving us to anticipate a second coming. And, and so um, when you start studying these seven feasts, what you're going to find is that they are a portal of richness and compelling blessing for us. A richness. Have you ever took a bite of like chocolate cake that was so rich that you were like, this is so good, but I can only eat one bite because it's just like, it's almost too much. That's what the Old Testament is like. It's rich. As you dig in, it's rich and you're like, oh, this is so good, but... I don't know if I can contain this. I need milk. Anyway. 
because Jesus in his first coming fulfilled four of these feasts, the, the springtime feast. Because in the spring at Passover, it says in 1 Corinthians, this is the New Testament speaking about the Old Testament feast, says that Jesus has, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that Jesus has become our Passover. It's through him that the Passover happens in our life. Then it says about unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that takes place in the spring, John 6, 35 and 48 says, Jesus said, personally, I am the bread of life. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 23, he says, I am the first fruits of everyone. He is the first fruits of your death. He is the first fruits of your resurrection. And he is the first fruits of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the, um, in the, um, summer, the early summertime, 50 days after Passover, he gave us his spirit. It's called the Feast of Weeks, but we call it Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh in the New Testament and gave us access, like Johnny said last week, gave us access into the Holy of Holies and empowers us. Amen. But here in the fall, the feasts that, that are to be celebrated have not happened yet. The, the fullness of them have not happened yet. Because it all, all three of the feasts in the fall, all three of the holy days point to Jesus' second coming. When we look at the Feast of Trumpets, move, um, turn over to Leviticus 23, verse 23. This is what the Lord said to Moses, because that's what 23 says. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, <laughs> saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. He says there's a day that the seventh month, first day, that there shall be blowing of trumpets. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is so multifaceted and so layered with richness, I cannot even scratch the surface today what I'm going to talk to you about, which is mind-blowing, but it's not even scratching the surface of what this feast is all about. And I encourage you to begin to, to dig into those things and find out what these things are about. But I want to I wanna deal with just a few things today is, you know, when he said, when God said, not only in, in the first of Leviticus chapter 23, but also in this one, he said, it shall be a holy convocation. Now, how many have used that word this week? Yes, we're having a holy converse, con, 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 not conversation, convocation in this, in this day. We, I don't even know what convocation means, so I had to look it up. And, and so um, when, I, when I look that word up, it, it means calling, summoning people to attention. It means a calling together, a sacred assembly, a summoning. And so when people would hear the blast of the trumpet, 
during the Feast of Trumpets or at the day of the Feast of Trumpets, it called them to attention because it was either a time of war or a time of worship. It interrupted their day-to-day because the whole month before the Feast of Trumpets, the whole month called the month of Elul, I spoke of it a little bit ago, is a whole month, 30 days of hearing the horn go off, hearing the, the, the trumpet go, and they, it calls them to bring themselves to, to self-evaluate their life and help them come to a place of repentance, a turning away from what, they, what they're doing in order to go God's way. So they're hearing this every day for 30 days, and when you get to the Feast of Trumpets, all of a sudden, you're waiting for that one horn blast that's, that outdoes every horn blast that you've been hearing over the last 30 days. So when we talk about the Feast of Trumpets, it's the only feast in God's feast that is two days long. It's two days long. And... Um, it's, it's two days long, and I'm, I may be skipping ahead in my notes, but it's two days long because it's all based upon the new moon, when the new moon is shown. Because the, the, the Jewish calendar, Hebrew calendar, is a lunar, cal- lunar calendar instead of a solar calendar like our calendars that we have. So they base everything on the moon where we base everything on the sun. And when they see the, the new moon, that little sliver of the new moon happen, they blow the trumpet, but that happens within a two-day period. And so I'll give you the reason why here in just a couple of minutes. But see, they're anticipating this blast, and I have what it's going to sound like. You ready for this? I'm looking to see how much time I got. That's what it's gonna. That's what it sounds like. There's more to it than that, but it is something that would be heard in Israel from the priest who would blow a sign to blow the trumpet, the shofar. That's what it's called, the shofar in Israel to call them into this feast. But it's also to summon them together as an army and a people of worship. In Psalm 98, verse 6, in the New Living Translation, it says, With trumpets and the sound of a ram's horn, the shofar, make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. In Psalm 89, verse 15, it says, Blessed are the people who know, who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. When you look up the the word joyful sound there, it refers back to Psalm 98 and Leviticus chapter 23. This is the joyful sound is the sound of the trumpet that is blown at the Feast of Trumpets. And he says there, it's a joyful sound. And those who know, who know it or understand it, they will walk in the light of God's countenance. Amen. That's where I want to be. I don't know about you, but I'm a light carrier. I'm a flame keeper. And, and, and I, 
you know, we as Christians should be carrying this light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Be light. And so when we hear that shofar sound, or when they would hear that shofar sound, they would erupt into celebration. And for the next day or two, wherever they're at, when they hear that sound, the next day or two, they hear that trumpet over a hundred times that day. And it's just a constant, it's just, every time they hear it, you know, it's, it's like being at a wedding and, and somebody at the reception is going, ding, 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 ding. And the bride and groom have to, mm, you have to kiss, you know. A hundred times a day, they break into celebration because they hear that trumpet, that shofar sound. He said, it's a holy convocation. Now, convocation doesn't mean just a summoning, but this is where I love this word, holy convocation, because there is a meaning to it called rehearsal. That this is a rehearsal. The Feast of Trumpets is a rehearsal. As long as Jesus, as, as long as it takes for Jesus to really come back, every time we hear the trumpet or, or this feast or know this feast, it is, a, it is a rehearsal that we go through. That's what celebrating is. It's a rehearsal. This weekend, or, or the, yeah, this weekend, I, I had the uh, honor of getting to do a wedding. And I did it for um, J.D. and Carly Wegley. See, the, 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 are they here? I, I don't see them. Must have been too good. <laughs> <clears throat> Must have been way too good. Um, you know what I mean. Anyways, um, we did, we did a wedding yesterday, yesterday evening. But on Friday evening, we did the rehearsal. That means that everything wasn't perfect. But we went through that rehearsal like we were going through the actual wedding. And we found where we need to make up time, where we need to lose time, found out what was important, what's not important, we, you know, straight lines, hands in our front or hands in our pockets, you know, we were going through these things and rehearsing of what it was going to be like the next day. That's what this means. A holy convocation is a rehearsal. It's a going through and finding those things, those places where we need to understand that um, when, when this trumpet begins to sound, we rehearse Jesus coming. Now I'm ready to leave the ground. I'm ready for him to catch me up with him. We hear the trumpet blast. We begin to rehearse what's going to take place there. The awe that's going to take place when Jesus, the trumpet of Jesus blows and we, he splits that eastern sky and we go into his presence with him. Amen. So what are we rehearsing for? The Feast of Trumpets is a two-day observance centered around the appearance of the new moon. And the new moon was a mystery because it was hidden until God said it was time. In those two-day period, whether it was the first day or the second day, that's what God says. We can't make the moon appear. Our trumpet does not make the moon appear. The moon makes our trumpet sound. So... We're, we're keeping an eye on the skies, so to speak. And, and so it was revealed within one of two days. That's why the Feast of Trumpets is also called this name 
Yah, uh, I'm sorry, Yom HaKisa. Yom HaKisa. And that means in English, it means the day of hiding. So the Feast of Trumpets is called the day of hiding. And because it is hidden, that, that time is hidden, those people are hidden from the enemy so that the horn can blow. It's a mystery. In Matthew chapter 24, um, the disciples asked Jesus about the sign of a second coming. You know, they were, they were even concerned, when are you coming back? And, and Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. He says, then, this is Jesus talking, then the sign of the Son of Man, which is him, will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. Verse 36, he goes on to say, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Of that day no one knows. I was always told that you don't know when Jesus is coming back. See, the mystery of what I was told when I was a kid in the denominational church is if you stay home from church on Sunday night and watch the wonderful world of Disney... (laughs) When G, if Jesus comes back that night and catches you up to the judgment day, the judgment day, he's going to say, how come you didn't go to church and you were home watching the wonderful world of Disney? Walt Disney can't save you. Mickey Mouse can't save you. I am your savior and you didn't come. So you go to hell because you stayed home from church. That ain't the way it happens. Even though we don't know the day, I believe Jesus can come back at any time if he wanted to. But there is an appointed time that he's coming back. We may not know which appointed time is. That's why we're rehearsing. Because if it happens to be that day while we're rehearsing, one time we'll do like that and it'll just... I mean, we'll outjump Michael Jordan at the time. I mean, you'll have some heavenly vert. And, and I love this concept, uh, if you will, um, of not knowing the day or the hour, even though we're not saying that he's, you know, he's coming back on September 21st or whatever. We know that he's coming back at the trumpet and we know what, the trump, what day the trumpet go, blasts. And so we can know that. And he conceals that from the enemy for his kings. See, Proverbs chapter 25 says this. It is, a, it is the glory of God for him to conceal a matter, but is the glory of kings to be able to search out that matter. In other words, it's his glory that we come into the knowledge of these things because he's hidden them not from us, but he's hidden them for us. And so it's like, it's like the good old Easter egg hunt. You know, you don't, your, your parents have hid that not from you, but for you. There's a treat, right? And that's what God is doing there. Um, As sons of Issachar, we know 
and anticipate the time because we have are because we are searching out this matter as kings in God's kingdom. Amen. The words of the apostle Paul says about this time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 he says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet. That word trumpet there is shofar in the complete Jewish Bible it says shofar the shofar of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a comfort. That's not scary. That's a comfort to know that when we hear that blast, which is going to be a lot better than my iPhone... When we hear that blast, it is, going to, it is going to be so loud and so shaking and so moving that the core of who we are is going to go to meet him in the air. You can't stop it. You can't, you know, the, 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 the ashes of your dead family members that you scattered across three or four continents, that blast of the trumpet will bring all those elements back together and with him the people who have been buried in the sea will come out of the sea to meet him. That's good stuff. Comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Graves will open. Man, I ain't got time to say this, but I'm going to say it. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the Bible says that there were graves all around, the cemeteries all around, that the dead got up and walked. There were resurrections beside Jesus that day to show us that he is the first fruit of the resurrection of who we are. Whether we're dead or alive, when he comes back, that trumpet's going to blow us out of the grave. Amen. That's good stuff. But see... I lived most of my Christian life thinking Jesus' second coming was going to be random. It's a random time. You just never know when Jesus comes and come back. Wonderful World Disney will be on. The Dukes of Hazzard will be on. You know? And it made me fear. It feared me enough to go to church and miss the Dukes of Hazzard. Or Wild Kingdom or whatever. The young people are going, What? See, God does nothing random. He does everything at a set place and a set point, and we can know what those things are about if we'll be like the sons of Issachar and give ourselves to knowing those things. Amen? Amen? The last thing I want to share with you here is that the Feast of Trumpets is also called Rosh Hashanah. You may see that on your calendars. That may be the way you know this, what I'm talking about today, but it's called Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. It is the Hebrew or the Jewish New Year. It's their New Year. But when we read that in Leviticus, it said it's the seventh month, not the first month. What you have to understand is that the Jews, uh, the Hebrews have two calendars. They're all based on the same number of months, 12 months. But the, uh, the sacred or uh, I'm sorry, the civil calendar, the civil calendar means that at the Feast of Trumpets, which is called the month of Tishri, is the first month. But on the religious calendar, um, the month of Nisan, not Nisan, not a Nisan Maxima, 
But the month of Nisan, which where Passover happens, that's the first month. So they have two first months. They have two birthdays. Just like you, if you're a Christian, you have two birthdays. You have the born on day and the born again on day. But the first of Tishri is Rosh Hashanah. And that in Leviticus chapter 23 is the seventh month. Okay, I just confused everybody, but that's cool. Go find it. But there, um, if, you know, the Rosh Hashanah is observed as the new year. Um, when you read the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 12, all of those events take place within the civil calendar, being that Feast of Trumpets is the first, the, the new year. But from Exodus chapter 12 all the way to Revelation, it's all this, the religious calendar. So you'll see that's why here in Leviticus it's done on the 7th. Okay, I'm going to go on. But here's the deal. Rosh Hashanah and the new year carries the same kind of spirit that our new year carries, which means what do we do at the first of our new year? January 1st, um, um, December 31st to January 1st, what do we do a lot of times is we set and we make it, we self-evaluate ourselves. We self-evaluate and we make a resolution, right? I don't like the way this year went, so I'm going to make a resolution for the new year. That's exactly what happens at Rosh Hashanah is there is a, re- a resolution that takes place. They, people reflect on themselves and look at bettering themselves for the new year. There's three levels of bettering ourselves, and that is bettering ourselves with God, with other people, and with ourselves. Those are the three levels of bettering ourselves. Tradition says that at Rosh Hashanah, is, there's a repentance that takes place. There is, when we hear that sound, we know that the resolution that we've made is going to propel us forward. So it comes down to something that we like to, a tradition we like to do here at Cowboy Church that we've done for many years now is this event called the Tashlik. And of course it has that, you know, the um, cough up a lung thing, um, Tashlik. And, and that means a casting off. In um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Hebrew, who I believe wrote Hebrews, says, let us lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us. Lay aside every sin. And that's what we do during this time, is we lay aside all of our sin, and we look forward to living free from that sin. Amen? And so we're, we're self-evaluating. This tashlik thing that we do or uh, casting off, comes from the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. It says that he will again, he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, our sin, and will cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. I like that. So what happens in the Tashlik is that um, it's such a visual and physical action that we do it should move our hearts into worship God for the new year. So what happens at the Tashlik is what they would do is they would gather a rock. They would find a, a good-sized rock, like a river rock. I was going to bring one today, but forgot. You find this rock. You take a magic marker. I don't know if they had magic markers back then, but they spoke or something into this rock. All of the sin that they, when they self-evaluate, all the things that they didn't like about the year before, 
They put it on this rock, and then when they hear the trumpet, throw it out into a body of water and let those things die. Now listen, if you want to swim out there and try to find your rock to take those back, go for it. But the way God sees it is he takes our sin and he casts them into the depths of the sea. Takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. But he takes all of that and he says, I'm going to cast it into the depths of the sea. To the deepest deep. And if you want to go find it, go find it. But God says, you're done with it. And I'm done with it. So that's something that we like to do at Cowboy Church. And so... um, there's a richness to this, um, to this feast or this festival that God wants us to celebrate. It's his feast. It's his festival. There is so much more that I could tell you guys that would just blow you away. <laughs> Good. I'll give you the book so you can go read it. <laughs> um, so, so I'm not Jewish course. And, and so people will say, well, isn't this a Jewish thing? Isn't this a Jewish thing? No, it's not a Jewish thing. It's a Godish thing. And as God says, it's my feast that I give to you. So is it a Jewish thing? It's a Jewish thing because they acquired that, but now it's for us to know because God is, this is God's feast. It's his deal. So here's where we start with us as the sons of Issachar. We're going to start with the Tashlik. So here's what I want you to do. Write this down, put this in your notes or whatever, is that we are going to celebrate because this year uh, Rosh Hashanah Feast of, of Trumpets starts on Monday, next Monday, not this Monday, but next Monday, September 6th at sundown, which is 722 here in Colorado. We're going to do this together if you so desire. So what I want you to do, write this down, September 6th at sundown, we're going to meet at Sanborn Park over in Greeley. Um, um, Sanborn Park is on, uh, is on the south side of Greeley Lake Reservoir. It's east of 35th Avenue and right there on West 20th Street. If you know where Baskin Robbins is, which we do, um, if you know where Baskin Robbins is, that's the lake just in that park just to the east of Baskin Robbins. We're going to gather there at 7 o'clock on September 6th. And what I want you to do is I, between now and then, get you a rock, get you a magic marker, and I want you to self-evaluate and write everything on that rock that you can write on it. And then we're going to come together as a, just a few minutes as a congregation, and we're going to toss them suckers into the water. Amen? I, I expect that we're going to have so many that it's going to build a mound right in the middle of that <laughs> lake. Of rocks. So for the next two weeks, I want you to self-evaluate, write those things on a rock. And um, uh, here's, here's how to self-evaluate. Am I, am I loving right? Am I loving people right? Am I loving God right? Am I being kind to people? Am, am I being critical of stuff? Um, is there somebody that I need to forgive? Forgiveness is so huge. If you've been carrying unforgiveness, let it go. Put it on the rock. Forgive that person, and we're going to cast it into the, to the water. Um, great. If you're not being great, if you find yourself, you haven't been gracious, be gracious. But write it on the rock, and we're going to throw it into the river. Amen.
Um, let me pray for you and we'll get you out of here. Uh, thank you, Father. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you so much for this day and for this time that we've got to hear some things from your word. And I pray, God, that it would begin to uh, rest easy in who we are as Christians. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice listening by Facebook Live or podcast or sometime later on in this week, uh, I pray, God, if they've never given themselves, given their lives over to Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would do that. Father, not only do they have a born-on date, but I pray they have a born-again-on date. And that date would say August 29th, 2021. Because, God, I know that you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross and be resurrected from the grave and to give us the Holy Spirit, give us his spirit, Jesus' spirit. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody in, in here that has never given their lives to you, I pray that they would say yes to you today. I pray that, God, that they would say yes to being a Christian. I don't know what all that means, but I, I want to be a Christian today. If that's you today, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you and he's been waiting for you and he wants you to be a part of his life. That's not, Jesus don't, didn't come to the cross just to be a part of your life. He wants you to be a part of his. And today, if you've never become to the place of being a part of his life, I pray in Jesus' name that you would say yes to what he did on the cross. Just say yes today if that's you. Father, I thank you so much for those that are saying yes to those who are making that transition to be born again. And Father, I thank you so much for what you have given us in your word. I pray that the richness of your word would just be so overwhelming that we want more and more and more, that we become addicted to who you are. Not this world and what it has to offer, but addicted to who you are and to your word. And we thank you so much for who you are and all that you are in Jesus' name. Amen.